So there's plenty of ways for you guys to get involved there, um, especially with the shoe boxes. Um, so I'd encourage you to kind of think that through and jump in somewhere. Um, we're going to open our Bibles to Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And before we dive into our text this morning, I'd like you to join me by uh, standing as we uh, uh, together um, go through the first four verses of Hebrews, which I'm just calling the Hebrews Creed because it lays out a direction for us, for all of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You may be seated. Father, as we open your word today, we ask that you would bless us with, with your wisdom and your understanding, that you would give us your insight to your word, that we would be not only hearers of your word, but that we would receive it in the depths of who we are and that we would uh, live it out. Lord, may you be glorified and may your word find a fertile place to be planted within us today uh, that, that the, as a body of Christ here we would be uh, built up and encouraged in our faith in you and to persevere through, uh, through the days that we're in. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we get to our passage today, starting in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, um, we have a, a warning here, a warning to believers to avoid um, letting sinful desire lead them inch by inch into unbelief and unfaithfulness to God. And, uh, you know, most of us, whenever we have uh, fallen into some sort of temptation, um, whenever that has occurred, usually uh, we don't set out to, to just be unfaithful to God. It often happens incrementally, little bits that we give away, um, little bits of our, uh, whether it uh, be our trust in Him uh, little bits of of giving in to uh, the promises of the world that um, are always promising us something amazing, if if only. Um, and yet, uh, as as Matt said, that tower never reaches heaven. Right, those things that promise us all sorts of of uh, satisfaction um, in various ways and promise to meet our needs. Uh, they they all fall short apart from Christ and and God has proven himself faithful just it's it's uh 
really the case doesn't even need to be made concerning God's faithfulness. Um, He's the only one who's been faithful through the ages, since the beginning of, of time for humanity. And so there's a warning being issued here in Hebrews chapter 3 to believers to make sure that they don't fall victim to the very things that their forefathers felt, fell victim to. And that was, uh, and I say victim, uh, not in the sense that they couldn't do anything about it, but in the sense that they were lured and enticed into unbelief and they, they drifted that way until they were fully into it. And so the warning is that believers... Don't be like that. Don't allow yourself to be lured in to a way of thinking like the world that leads you away from faithfulness to God, that leads you away from belief in Him. And we're going to see here today that, that uh, the, one, the one thing that God, uh, I mean, there are many, obviously God does, does not tolerate sin, but the one thing that uh, keeps you from eternal life is unbelief. Um, we, we all are imperfect and we all hopefully are pointed in the direction of becoming like Jesus day by day, more and more each day. And our imperfection does not keep us out of heaven if we are in Christ. Unbelief in his son will. And let's look, so we're going to look at our passage here that we don't become like uh, the faithless generation of Moses and so, um, let's look at our, our passage here this morning, starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, which I, I think is awesome, because uh, I just love the way that starts, because actually he's quoting Psalm 95. And instead of saying, uh, you know, as the psalmist said, uh, or as the psalm says, um, he just says, as the Holy Spirit says. This is the live, alive and active Word of God, as we'll get to a, just a short bit later in Hebrews, um, that is speaking to us still. So therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, just keep in mind, remember, Hebrews is written to believers. And so believers are listening to this. Believers who are part of the community of God, um, who have, who have uh, uh, pronounced faith in Christ. And um, so he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. What, one of the things that's interesting about the way that, uh, that the Holy Spirit reveals this in Hebrews is, if, if we were to get real technical about it and turn back into Psalm 95, which we'll do in a moment, but if we turn back there, what we'd find is it doesn't use, Psalm 95 doesn't use the word rebellion and testing. It names the places, uh, Meribah and Massah, which uh, essentially mean rebellion and testing. So what, what here is happening is uh, the, the author under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is wanting to make sure that when he quotes this passage that the meaning is not lost on you. So rather than naming the places, he actually just inserts what the meaning of that place has to do with. 
so that it's not lost on us what happened there. It's not just the name of a place. There's something that happened at these places that is represented there. And so it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now Psalm 95 actually um, kind of grabs from a couple of different events and, and because both of those events had a lot to do with each other and were very significant in the relationship between God's people at the time and God. And so as, as we look at Psalm 95, what we end up finding is that there, the passages here that we're going to actually look at is Exodus chapter 17. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. This is one of the things that's being spoken of in this quotation of Psalm 95. All right, and this will all fit in here because and I guess I should just go ahead and give you a little bit of the overview. So later on in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to receive positive encouragement of those who have lived well and faithfully to God and then we're encouraged to follow in their example and live with being encouraged by how they have walked with perseverance, by faith in Christ, and now for us to draw encouragement from that, that we're spurred on to do the same, to finish well. But here, before we get to Hebrews chapter 11, we have Hebrews chapter 3, where there's an example in the negative given to us. Don't be like this, faithless and unbelief. And so in Exodus chapter 17, so that we have the context for understanding what's being quoted there, Uh, Let's look at Exodus 17, uh, verses 1 through 7 here. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. All right, so God has rescued his people out of Egypt. Um, He's brought them miraculously across the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, and saved them from the onslaught of the Egyptian army who was coming hard after them. Uh, there's been several th- several ways where God has miraculously and faithfully provided for His people, and one of the things that has already started to occur was is them going, "Well, great, now we're out in the desert. Now what? Like, oh, great." Lord, now now look where we're at. Like, wait a minute, did you forget? I just, like, you were c- crying out to me to save you at, from slavery uh, and oppression in Egypt, and, and I did by pretty miraculous means, and now you're like, yeah, but now look where we're at. Right? That's kind of the attitude of the people here. And so they're, they're coming through the desert here, and it says, but there was no water for the people to drink. So you would think, right, like having read, um, some, when we went through Exodus, having read the first 16 chapters, you would go, so the people turned to God and said, God, please provide water for us, right? Well, let's find out. Um, you may already remember. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? 
Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Um, Such an ungrateful generation. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, um, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Those are the names that you'll find in Psalm 95. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And Now when we read through Exodus and we get to this point and we see that they're questioning, is the Lord here with us or not? Why did you just bring us out in the desert to die? And we're going just like mind blown. Like, where have you guys been? God showed up like in such a miraculous and powerful way, bringing his judgment to those who have oppressed you, and, and you're out here complaining over water. God's, I mean, from our perspective, we're going, God's going to provide for you. Look what he already did. But this was the attitude of, of that generation. Now let's look. The other part of the passage from Psalm 95 comes from Numbers chapter 14. So turn to the right from Exodus. Uh, You're not going to go very far and you'll hit Numbers. Numbers 14, verse 20. These were two events that really punctuated um, just that generation and how they they thought of the Lord. And uh, and this one was kind of like the, the nail in the coffin for them here. Um, this, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, God was patient with that generation as he is patient with all of us. He is long-suffering with humanity. Um, and, but there is a point where God, it seems that God will just say, look, you're determined to go this way? You have it. Numbers chapter 14 uh, verse 20. So what has happened here is that uh, uh, God has brought them to the brink of the promised land. And, uh, and, and he said, that's the land I'm going to bring you into. And so they send out some spies to go check things out uh, for 40 days that they're checking out the land to come back with the report of what they find out. What happens is, uh, most of the, the, the spies come back to Israel and say, whoa, we do not want to go in there. That is like some scary dudes over there, and we're not well matched for this. It's not going to go well if we try to take the promised land. Forgetting all that God has done for them and the promise of God that this would be the land that they would inherit, um, they forsake all of that, and all they can see are big guys, strong guys, uh, they, I don't know, they've got weapons, um, and we'll have to defeat them first. 
it can't be done. That's essentially the report they bring back is, it can't be done. Like, I know what God said, but I'm telling you I saw with my own eyes. He's wrong. It can't be done. However, there were a couple of guys that disagreed with that. Um, Caleb and Joshua. And uh, they totally disagreed with that. They're like, hey, let's go. Today. We can do this. We've got God. They've got swords and stuff. But we've got God. And so they are completely full of faith that if God brought them to the promised land and has promised to give it to them, they don't have to understand all the particulars of what that's going to look like and how that's going to happen. All they know is it's going to happen and we can trust God with that. So if it comes to war, we can trust God's going to equip us to do whatever we need to do to take the land he's promised to us. So that's the, the back story here as we get then to Numbers 14, verse 20. So anyways, they ended up saying, okay, we're not going to go in there. Right? It's just too scary. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, because they pleaded with God uh, to forgive these people for their lack of faith. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Um, so there's a unique blessing given to Caleb because he's walking by faith, even though his cohorts are not. Uh, now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, tomorrow, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the, the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all, of all your number, listed in the census from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land that I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. All right, so did you follow that? So the people came back with a report that we can't trust God with going into this place, except Caleb and Joshua, who said, yes, we can, and we should. We have to. Let's go. And, and God is passing on a blessing to Caleb and Joshua that they're going to actually get to enjoy this promised land that God has brought them to. But the rest of the people who were faithless and said, God can't do this, we can't do this, are going to have to die in the desert and their children will be the ones to inherit um, the, 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 the promised land. What's interesting is you follow the story, you read the book of Joshua, what happens is uh, the next generation, the, the kids of those who were faithless, who are grumbling and complaining and ungrateful for all that God did, that generation has a revival. And they, they totally uh, give themselves back to the Lord and say, Lord, we're all in. 
And it's a beautiful thing that happens there. But here, God is pronouncing judgment on this generation of people that they will not enter the promised land. Now, one of the things that we see in Exodus, if you remember, is that these are, and Hebrews says as much, the things going on in Exodus are, are often earthly pictures of heavenly realities. Okay? So the tabernacle that was constructed was an earthly representation of heaven rea- heavenly realities. And so we see the same in God saving his people out of slavery in Egypt, an earthly picture of a heavenly reality of a God coming to save people from slavery to sin. All right? And that unfolds, of course, as we go through the rest of the scriptures and into the New Testament and the coming of Jesus. And all of a sudden that begins to make a lot of sense. And so we have here the promised land. What is that? The, the earthly picture of what heaven rea- heavenly reality? Well, it's already been discussed in Hebrews that we have the promise and the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ before us. That is, this life, whatever we may go through, is as hard as it ever gets for us. It only gets superiorly... Is that a word? Wow. Is that even an adverb? I don't know. I just made one. And it, it is superiorly better than anything we have here or could ever hope for. And we have this promise out in front of us to keep us persevering and striving through some very difficult things that happen on this side of heaven because of what lies before us. The promised land for God's people, it had been given to them and should have served in a similar way to embolster them and and, and encourage them to persevere and to hang on to trusting God for based on all the evidence of his faithfulness up to that point, um, knowing he was going to make good on his promise of the promised land, which is for us the picture here of the heavenly reality of eternal life for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And yet he says to these people, because of your grumbling and your complaining, your ungratefulness, your unbelief, your unfaithfulness, you will not be allowed to enter in. Well, that's, it's important to understand all of that, um, to kind of review some of those, because as we go on here in Hebrews, I think it will really make some more sense. So this passage is quoted. We've kind of gotten the back context of that. Verse 12 in Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So there it is. You've seen the example of your forefathers in the desert and how they were unfaithful to God. Take care. Give attention to. Uh, Don't let it happen to you. So be be aware, be on guard, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then there's this uh, um, contrast here, and it's like he offers the antidote to that. So beware, don't fall into this same thing that your forefathers fell into, but instead do this. What is the instead? It is but exhort one another every day as long as as it is called today. In other words, this isn't just a generalized, you know, 
exhort one another. But he said, as long as it's called today, meaning seize the day today, the opportunity you have to encourage and exhort one another on towards the hope we have in heaven and the confidence we have in our God who has provided us salvation through Jesus Christ. Today, today, make it happen. There's a sense of urgency and purpose connected with this exhortation. Do it today. Follow through with it. This is that what he's saying here is this isn't like the, um, I mean, I, I've been thinking about this because I'm like, I'm, I'm pushing 50 now, right? So I'm starting to actually start to process some of these things that I've been saying for the last 20 years I want to do someday. I'm starting to realize that for some of these things, my ability to carry them out is going to lessen and lessen as the years go by. And so I'm starting to think, dude, if you're going to do this, today's the day, right? So, um, so the thing here is this is not a someday do this, a generality of have this, do this, but it's today, do it, make it happen, don't let the day go by, carry it out. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin grabs hold of us bit by bit. Um, Wasn't it like, uh, I don't remember it perfectly, but I just remember vaguely Gulliver's Travels, right? He's like held down by all these tiny little threads or whatever they were. So, That's the way sin works, right? It grabs us one little bit at a time as it entices us and we go into that temptation and give way to it. And we justify it. You know, we think, look, I'm only human or, you know, know, I've missed out on some things or, uh, you know, maybe this is never going to happen. Like we, you know, think of the promise of that Abraham and Sarah were given of of a son, and they kind of start thinking, maybe this is never going to happen. Maybe we kind of need to grease the wheels a little bit and, and make this happen on our own. Right? We can start to justify sin in our life. It doesn't make it less sin. Right? Just because you can explain it really well and tell why you did it doesn't make it, not, it doesn't make it right in the eyes of God. And what happens is we do it little by little. We give way to this. Until it moves us into a place where we are hardened in our heart towards the things of God. A few weeks ago, um, I was uh, out of town and and, uh, down in Moscow where we have a couple of kids going to school and visiting. And I bumped into an old friend and uh, actually didn't know her as well as I had known her husband. And uh, but this was, you know. 20 years ago or something, so I was excited to catch up and, and, and just see how things were going and how the family was doing, and, and it became clear that her husband's name wasn't being mentioned anymore in our conversation. She was there by herself with some grandkids, and, and, and uh, I was hesitant to really go there because I haven't seen her for 20 years, and, um, and then she offered to me that this, this man who I had actually served in ministry with there at the U of I, um, had left her and um, had wandered away from the faith and uh, had gotten in, involved in, in um, some, some uh, 
mysticism stuff that had really pulled him far from the word of God and a foundation of faith in the gospel and the truth of God's word. And until little by little, inch by inch, he ended up very far from God, leaving his wife, leaving any sense of ministry, uh, you know, betraying really his family, moving in with a girl, living in sin, uh, that he knew, doing things that he knew were contrary to the ways of God. And it didn't happen by him just waking up one morning and going, you know what, I think I'm going to leave my wife, I'm going to abandon my family, and I'm going to go move in with somebody and live in sin. That's not how it happened. It was inch by inch, thread by thread. Wrong thinking that led to giving in to desires of temptation little by little that led to a hardness of heart that resulted in some pretty ugly stuff for him and hurt for his family. This is often the way sin works. And so the exhortation is every day, encourage and exhort one another as as it's called today so that you don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Um, This is, remember we read the accounts there in Numbers and Exodus. Who was it that heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? So this is, uh, for 40 years we have on the, uh, back in verse uh, uh, 9, it says, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. So they saw the hand of God, the faithfulness of God for 40 years. And yet here then is, uh, he's saying, and with whom he was provoked for 40 years. So 40 years they heard the word of God, they saw God's faithfulness, and 40 years they rebelled against it. Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They were not allowed to enter his rest. The the earthly picture of what heavenly reality? The fact that heaven is open to those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ and close to those who don't. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That's a pretty important thing being said here. Just as it's called today, we're called to exhort one another on towards the hope we have of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Just as it also is called today, today is a day where we ought to trust what God has said. It says here that in verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them. In other words, we have the same God Revealing himself to us as they did, they responded with rebellion. But the call for us is to respond by faith so that we won't be excluded 
from the rest that God has for us. The church must stay united by faith. And it says here, united by faith with those who listened. Who were those who listened in the context of the passages back here? Joshua and Caleb. They remained faithful to God. So we need to draw our encouragement from Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb, even as an old man, was like, let me at him, Lord. Let's rush in. We can do this. We have God on our side. To have that heart, that kind of a heart, that we trust God so fully, that we remember His faithfulness, recount His faithfulness, and draw such confidence to it that we are able to persevere. Again, that's the call of Hebrews, is persevering based on what Christ has done for us. I want to read to you the beginning here, close with the beginning of uh, Psalm 95. Actually, we'll read, I'll read all of Psalm 95 if you want to turn there with me right in the middle of your Bible. Stick your thumb in there and you'll probably be in Psalm. So when you turn to Psalm 95, what you'll notice that the verses that were quoted were the end of verse 7 through verse 11. Um, but what I want to read is, is, I want you to hear the first part of this. So verse 7 through 11, we kind of see the problem of unfaithfulness, but 1 through 7 kind of gives us the cure, the solution. The same thing that Hebrews is working us towards. Psalm 95, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are, also, are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. See, there's this call to remember God who he is, what he's done, to praise him, to worship him for that. If we do that, that is the antidote for resisting the temptation, resisting being lured away like those who are mentioned then in verses 7 through 11, where it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Church, that's the antidote. The world is going to come at you hard and temptation along with it. How are we going to stand? How are we going to stand individually? How are we going to stand corporately as the body of Christ? with a world increasingly bent on snuffing out the name of Christ and everything that God is doing in the world, how is the church going to stand? How are we going to resist the temptation to just go, you know what, this is just too hard. Just let them have their way and I'm just going to quietly recede to the dark corner. 
how, how do we keep from doing that? It is by making sure that we incorporate into our life a purposeful, deliberate, oh, come let us sing to the Lord. We worship Him together. We honor Him together. We give thanks to Him together. And we keep reminding each other that, look, we're passing through this place. And we have a hope in something far more glorious. Let's take some people with us. Let's, let's bring others in also who can have a hope that is much greater than what this world offers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grounding of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding and insight. And we just ask, Lord, that, that you would spur us on the difficult things that each one of us are going to have to So you might find yourself in a place where you go, okay, I hear what you're saying and I want to finish well. Uh, but man, I am just struggling. Like it just, you know, the temptation to uh, just start giving in to some of these things is so immense that it's really just hard to uh, escape. Well, Hebrews, God takes that into account. And he wants you still to be encouraged and exhorted. From Hebrews chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Don't waver. Stay in the fight. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is help to be gained at the cross. And you can find it there today in in the midst of your struggles because you have a compassionate Savior who has plunged the depths of temptation and suffering on your behalf and can relate to you and now is equipped to help you through that. So turn to him, church. We can do this in the power of Christ. Amen.